0: This morning, we're going to be reading from, well, we're actually just going to be not reading from, we're going to be reading the entire thing. Yeah, uh, John's second letter. From the elder to the chosen gentlewoman and her children, whom I truly love, and I'm not the only one, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that remains with us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will be ours who live in truth and love. I was overjoyed to find some of your children living in the truth, just as we had been commanded by the Father. Now, dear friends, I am requesting that we love each other it's not as though I'm writing a new command to you, but it's, it's one we have had from the beginning. This is love, that we live according to his commands. This is the command that you heard from the beginning. Live in love. Many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess that Jesus Christ came as a human being. This kind of person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we've worked for but instead receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not continue in the teaching about Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in this teaching has both the Father and the Son. Whoever comes to you who does not affirm this teaching should neither be received nor welcomed into your home, because welcoming people like that is the same thing as sharing in their evil actions. I have a lot to tell you. I don't want to use paper and ink, but I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy can be complete. Your chosen sisters, children greet you. May we be blessed this morning by the reading and the hearing of these words of our scriptures. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. Thank you for this time, this place, family, friends, loved ones, an opportunity to gather together, to be blessed by one another and by you. It's been a great morning. We've been blessed by persons who are willing to share their gifts in leading us in worship. Cheryl playing, the choir singing, We've been blessed to hear about all the great things that are going on in this community through all the different announcements. How great is it to have four different persons stand up to share what's going on and to see the kids. And even with our youth on a trip and and some of our staff gone and others on vacation, there's others that just step right up to help. And so we give you thanks and praise for all the ways that you bless us this morning. And we ask that you continue to bless us, continue to watch over us as we turn to these words. Make them be more than just ink on a piece of paper. But through these words, help us to encounter your living word, That we might be transformed to resemble the one we call your son. So, this morning I pray that you would hide me behind your cross so that what we experience here today is you, your grace, your peace, your love, your joy, your justice, and your righteousness. For all these things, in your most holy and precious name, Amen. So, um, at one point during the the sermon, I'm going to be flipping around and pointing some things out in uh, in different parts of the Bible. And anyway, as I, I was. I meant to, normally what I'll do is I will, I have those, have you ever seen those? Yeah, you have. Those little post-its that are like, and you can mark a page, you know what I'm talking about? And so normally I'll do that. And I didn't do that this week for whatever reason. And so I was over there as we were, um, I think it was probably during the affirmation of faith or something, I was frantically like looking up all these verses and sticking paper in all the different places, and it ends up looking like that. And as I was sitting there looking at that, I was reminded of my grandfather So when my grandfather died, uh, the only thing I got of his, because unfortunately, you know, people act, people misbehave around weddings and funerals. Do you know that? (laughs) And and so my family, who I love dearly, misbehaved. And when my grandfather died, it was like a race to see who could get to his house to take things, and um, it's funny, though, because everyone that showed up, they were like, well, Jeff would want that. Nobody wanted the Bible. Do with that what you want. Nobody wanted his Bible. Everybody was like, well, Jeff will want that one. Jeff will want that. So that's what I got, and I am so thankful that I got my grandfather's Bible, but it looked like this. It had stuff shoved all over the place, like napkins. With coffee rings on it and stuff like that, with little notes, right? And I tried to make heads or tails of his notes, and he's the only one that knew what he was writing about. But anyway, that has nothing to do with the sermon. <laughs> I just, I don't know, maybe it does, right? Like, there's something to be said about the saints that have gone before us. And, and I just all, just, all of a sudden, something like that will bring back all these memories, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about. And then you are that overwhelming sense of love that just wells up within you. I was just thinking about my grandfather. And uh, I'm 52 years old, and I miss my grandfather dearly. So, anyway. This passage of Scripture, this, this sh- very short letter that, that the elder, we call it John, but we don't really know, um, that... Um, why do we call it? Why do we call it the, first, the second letter of John? Because there seems to be some theological overlap and some similarities between all three of these letters, as well as the Gospel of John. But the fact of the matter is, we don't really know who the author is of the Gospel of John. So they all get named um, based on our best guesses. So anyway, so there there is a John is writing. The elder is writing. I'm going to use John or the elder for. Interchangeably, he's writing to this house church, right? And all of these letters are written to communities that are likely located um, around ancient Ephesus. That's what that's what we believe, sort of that area. And these communities were made up, again, mostly but not completely, full of Jewish followers of Jesus. These were these were persons who uh, were brought up to believe um, in. In the one true God, they were brought up in the Jewish faith. They were brought up to uh, to believe in, or to find comfort in, or to turn towards their scriptures in order to make sense of who they were and who God was. To, to be reminded that God is the creator of all things, number one, and number two, that God is the redeemer of Israel. And, and so they've been brought up to believe that, and they've been brought up to believe that there is going to be this Messiah. And, and then these, these individuals have become convinced that Jesus is that Messiah, that long-awaited Messiah. Now, not all Jewish people believe that, obviously, but this group did. Scholars also believe, though, that this, these churches, or this particular church, has gone through a recent crisis. That's the reason for writing. Like, we don't have... It's interesting. I think, I think that that should go without saying. None of these letters in here are written simply because we wanted to say hi. <laughs> hey, just wanted to say hi. Hope you guys are doing well. No, it's like, hey, I heard that you guys are really screwing this up. <laughs> or I heard that you guys are really facing this trouble. And so here's some, here's some advice. Here's, here's some things that we think, as we've studied the Scriptures... And as we're trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus, here's what we think. And so, so this, this crisis motivated the elder to write these letters. And so really, I think, it's, I think it's fair to say all of the letters, not just John's letters, but Paul's letters, all the letters that we read are a form of damage control. And, and here's, here's, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Here is the problem with the church. It's made up of people. <laughs> right? And whenever something is made up of people, there's going to be problems. But it doesn't mean that we're not called to something greater. It doesn't mean that we should just sit back and accept that we're that this is that, that all of these problems are going to happen. It does mean that we should be striving towards something greater. And that's what these letters are, right? There's this encouragement to, to strive towards something greater, to be, to be reminded of what Jesus is calling us to, to be, to be reminded of this is what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. And, and while you are not the kingdom of God, do not ever confuse the church with being the embodiment of, of the kingdom of God, you are called to be a reflection of it. Try to at least show people what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like by the way that you're going to live in community together. That's, so that's what the, they're saying. Like, these authors are like, look, and, and for John, for the elder, what he keeps reminding them of is like, and so here's the thing. If you want to be able to be a reflection of the kingdom of God, let's go back to the number one first commandment that we've had from the beginning, the one, love one another. Do that. Love one another. And then we're like, okay. And what does that look like? I was reading a book recently by Father Richard Rohr. Who talks about conditional and unconditional love, and as I was reading it, I love Richard Rohr, by the way, and as I was reading it, I was like, "Yeah, I disagree with you on your definition of conditional love." I was like, because you know so here's here's a guy who I look up to who i I feel like as I look at him, I see Jesus, and even he even when he writes about love, I'm like, mm, mm." Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with that. And I'm allowed. And so for me right now, where I'm at right now, is I keep going back to the Scott Peck definition of love. Love is unswervingly committed to the betterment and completion of others. I think that's a pretty good definition, right? Love is unswervingly committed to the betterment and completion of others. Now, I can break that down, and I can disagree with some of that, too, depending on what actually I would disagree with is how someone else may interpret that. Right, like We might disagree on what it means to be committed to the betterment of one another. Your definition of betterment might be, well, I'm going to change them because that would be better for them. Right? And I'm like, well, I would disagree with that. But wouldn't it be great if we could just disagree on that and still love one another? Whatever that looks like. It's interesting to me. The word for the day for me has become bliss, Um, and I think that's a good. I think that's a good word for what John is calling the church to. Uh, Where did I put my phone? It's over there. I'm gonna have to grab my phone in a minute. But so here's what's happened this morning. I was driving in, and um, I was listening to uh, Cat Stevens. I don't know if you're a big Cat Stevens fan or not. I I happen to really like Cat Stevens, and and one of my favorite songs by well my my favorite one is Father and Son, right? And whenever I feel like having a good cry, I be like, well, I'll just put that on. Yeah, um, but one of my one of my top three is Peace Train. Love Peace Train, right? And so I was listening, and I had it on auto repeat, and and there's this line in there where he he says. Why can't we all just live in bliss? That's not a word you use often, is it? Bliss. And so I just kept thinking about that. I was like, yeah, why can't we all just live in bliss? Um, And then we gathered up over here to pray. And uh, it was me and Corey and Jaron and Cheryl and I was like, Would anybody, does anybody feel like they want to pray this morning? And Cheryl said, I'm ha- it's a great day. I'd like to pray. And she started praying. And, and she said about the, the day that we will all live in bliss. And she didn't know I was listening to Cat Stevens. <laughs> and after she prayed, I said, you used the word bliss. And she goes, yeah, I don't even know where that came from. I never used that word. And I said, you're not going to believe this. I was listening to Cat Stevens this morning. And the question is, why can't we all just live in bliss? And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go home this afternoon, and I'm going to learn how to play that song on the guitar. And it's really easy to learn how to play songs on the guitar anymore if you understand scale structure and stuff like that. You just got to go online. Back when I was learning, we didn't have the little thing called the Internet. But anyway, so I I was like, I'm just going to download it. And the craziest thing happened, right? So I, I pulled it up, and I just hit print, and it started to print, and I went and picked it up off the printer, and it printed weird. It was like it, it printed a page, and then there was a blank page. So it's lyrics and chords, right? It's called a tab. And, and I, it prints, and I'm like, why are there blank pages? And I'm going through, and I get to this one page, and there's only one line printed on it. Anybody want to guess what it was? <laughs> why can't we all just live in bliss? And I was like, okay, I'm thick. But I'm picking something up here. And I don't know if you belie- like how you believe about God speaking to us and stuff like that, but I do got to say, like, maybe that was God, that was the, uh, the divine presence, that was the universe telling me, asking me the question or saying to us, you know, as, 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 as my community why can't you all just live in bliss? And I was like, that sounds great. What does that mean? So I was like, I don't know the definition of bliss. And so I looked it up. Oh, by the way, I was telling Larry about that before the service started. And he said, you know, one time I asked you, what do you think heaven's going to be like? And you said, it's just going to be, anybody want to guess what I said? (laughs) Bliss. It's probably the only time I ever actually used a word. Here's what it says. So as a noun, it means perfect happiness, great joy. As a verb, it means to reach a state of perfect happiness. I love this part. Typically so as to be oblivious to everything else. Could you imagine if we lived as a community that we were so overwhelmed by the love of God that we were oblivious to everything else? People would be like, there, did you know? And you'd be like, I, wow, I didn't even know that and they'd be trying to get you mad. You'd be like, I I had no idea. I'm so overwhelmed by the love of God. I had no idea. So here's what I do think. That if if love is unswervingly committed to the betterment and completion of others and that we are living in this place of bliss, then um, maybe... It has something to do with us. It, this idea, right, about unswervingly committed to the betterment, maybe it has something to do with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Anybody, ever, anybody familiar with that? right? So maybe what it means is that as a community of faith, we're committed to uh, physiological needs first. And we do that, right? Like air, water, food. We, we, don't, we don't provide air, but water, food. Well, we do kind of worry about clean air, don't we? Um, shelter, sleep, clothing, re- reproduction. We've been asked to pray for a family, by the way. Um, so physiological needs, safety needs, personal security, employment, resources, health, property. Like we're committed to doing this for people because we believe in the betterment of people. Love and belonging, friendship, intimacy, family, sense of connection. Is that what we mean when we say that this is a place of home? Helping, at uh, the bottom too. Home is that middle part. And maybe healing is where respect, self-esteem, status, recognition, strength, and freedom begin to come in. And how about this point of a desire to become the most that one can be? And that as a community of faith, that's what we're committed to. And that that's a reflection of the kingdom of God. Now, obviously, the elder doesn't, I don't know, maybe he does. Maybe Maybe I'm shortchanging him. But maybe that's the point of love one another. And that's why we love people differently, right? There are some people that the best thing we can do for them right now is just to try to provide them some shelter and some food and a place to sleep. But somebody else, we may have to have some conversations about self-actualization. But are we all striving at some point to become the most that we can be? See, the great truth which is unveiled in the gospel of Jesus is that the powerful, redeeming love of God is the motor that drives the cosmos, and that those who are discovering the truth must learn to let that love flow through them to their fellow Christians and to the world around This is the commandment above all others, emphasized by Jesus himself and by one early Christian writer after another, after another, after another. Love is what matters. Love is not the optional extra to be added when everything else is sorted out. It is the thing that goes on round and round, like blood circulating in a healthy living body or back and forth strong breaths. So he begins his letter by saying, love each other. you got to get that. right. And then the second, though, he begins to provide this warning. And depending on how you translate or understand verses 7 through 9, it appears that, that the author is referring to a group of people who uh, have broken off from these churches. And there's three possibility, possible understandings. One of them seems to be pretty clear right and that and that there are some who are failing to confess that Jesus came as a human being and so one of the one of the issues that they seem to be facing is that some people have begun to focus too much on the spiritual aspect of Jesus and have begun to actually even deny the physical aspect And I think that, you know, because I'm thinking about, like, do we, in these warnings, I always want to say, like, am I I engaged in any of the things that that we're being warned about, or are we as a community of faith engaged in any of these things that they're warning us about? And and if not these specific, are there things similar? Does that make sense? You see what I'm trying to say? Like, in order to be able to apply what's happening in these letters, we have to be able to figure out, like, what were they, what was the potential issue, and what does that look like today, right? Right? Like, for example, we don't debate circumcision anymore, but that was an issue for Paul when he was writing. And so, but there are still things that we can glean about that argument. And so this type of thing, right? So, so the three possibilities. One is, and it's in here, this idea that they're, they're too focused on one aspect of the personhood, the two aspects of Jesus. And I think that we have to be careful about that. Right? like Sometimes we become so spiritually focused that we become no earthly good. Have you ever heard that one? Right, And then I think sometimes, though, we become so focused on like, the, the earthly stuff that we completely lose sight of the nurturing of the divine. But, like, for me, the real question is this. I have to acknowledge that I am both a physical being and a spiritual being. Yes? Is that true? Okay. That's also true for you. And so, if I am a spiritual and physical being, as a spiritual being, what responsibilities do I have in the physical world? I can't ignore one or the other. I, it has to be both. And I think that's one of the things we learn from Jesus. And we have to be careful not to focus so much on one and, and like let go of the other. That's one of the things. The other thing, the other possibility, is that they're denying that Jesus is actually the Messiah in the process. And then what they're saying is, yeah, we thought, we thought so, but now we've gone back and we've looked at the scriptures again or, you know, things aren't working out the way we thought that they would. And so, no, we're, we've, we're, we've become convinced that Jesus is not the Messiah. And so that's one of the potential problems. The other potential problem is this, and it's really important to hear this. So in verse 7, he says, many deceivers have gone into the world. And so he's not saying that there are deceivers in the world already that are trying to deceive you. What he's saying here is that there were some among us who have gone into the world and are deceivers. Woo! What he's saying is there were some that have been calling themselves part of the way and they have gone, they've left us and they're deceivers now. He's warning against, he's warning believers to be wary of fellow believers because of how they're teaching the understanding of Jesus. Okay, and then he says this in verse 9. Anyone who goes too far and does not continue in the teaching about Christ does not have God. Gone into the world and gone too far, goes too far, he's not saying the same thing. The one is they've left the community. The other one is they've taken the teachings of Jesus and they've gone too far with it. Right? Because he says this, this is love that we live according to his commands. This is the command that you heard from the beginning, live in love. Don't you love the circular argument there? If you love, then you are living within the commandments because the commandment is Love. So how do you know if you're following the commandments? You love. And so what he's saying here is, but you got to be careful because some people will tell you there's more things that you have to do than simply love one another. Some people are going to add more laws to you. Beware, because those who tell you that there's anything more than you, that you have to do other than love God and love neighbor... Are deceivers. It's not me, this is John. This is what he's saying here, right? And he's saying, so anybody that adds more to it is deceiving you. And and then he says something that seems to have gone against everything, like at the core of me that I believe. So here's what I believe about the community of faith. I said it already once. I believe that we're called to be a reflection of the kingdom of God. We are not the kingdom of God, but we should reflect it, right? And in the process, I believe that the kingdom of God is a place where all persons experience a sense of belonging. So as a community of faith, we should be a place where all persons experience a sense of belonging. And I am not going to be the one to tell anyone they cannot be part of the community. It's not my role. right? I believe that wholeheartedly. Then that being said, what is he saying here because he says, kick some out? <laughs> and I can't just be like, well. Right? I, gotta, I have to reconcile with this. And I think it's this, there are some who have already left the community, right? He says that there's some that have gone beyond, they're the deceivers. And where they're deceiving you is one of three ways. They're either telling you that Jesus actually isn't the Messiah. Two, they're telling you that Jesus wasn't actually a physical being, but we're going to focus on the spiritual being. And, uh, and then and the third thing is they also are deceivers in that they tell you there's more that you have to do than just simply love God and love neighbor. Those are the three things. And what he's saying is they've already left. The problem is they have said that they've left, but they've actually hung around. Why are they hanging around? Because they're trying to tear the community apart. The kingdom of God is a place where all people experience a sense of belonging. But if there are persons who are simply trying to tear the community apart, and and this is what John says, and you endure that, and you encourage that, you allow that to take place, you're just as guilty. So all people belong. Not all behavior is welcome. What behavior is not welcome? Anything that is not loving your neighbor. That's hard. And as I read that, right, I, I, I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, da 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 I have to ask myself. I wonder sometimes, really, is my insistence on inclusion actually a thing that's tearing a church apart? Now, I will say this. John's not new in reducing this to one command or two, depending. In fact, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? That's actually a common question among rabbis of the day. They're not just trying to trip him up. It's an actual question. What's the most important commandment? Because the tradition is, how do we take all of these 613 laws, depending on who you talk to, sometimes they say 611, but 613 we'll say because that's an easier number, It's bigger. It sounds more imposing, right? 613. I say it's easier because that's what I was always taught, right? So it's the one that's stuck here. Um, And so anyway, um, but the tradition is how do we take that and just reduce it down? Instead of adding to it. The tradition that we've inherited is how do we reduce this down instead of continuing to add more laws? How do we reduce it down? So there's a famous passage that illustrates this in the Babylonian Talmud, um, which, in case you're wondering, is one of the primary sources for interpreting Jewish religious law and theology. All right. So it states that 613 commandments were given to Moses. David reduces those commandments to 11 in Psalm 15. So here's where all of my little thingies came in. So Psalm 15, here are the 11 that David reduces these laws to. Live free of blame. The the person who lives free of blame does what is right, speaks the truth sincerely, who does not damage with their talk, does no harm to a friend, doesn't insult a neighbor, someone who despises those who act wickedly, that might be where John's getting his thing from, and who honors those who honor the Lord, someone who keeps their promise even when it hurts, someone who doesn't lend money with interest, who won't accept a bribe against an innocent person. Whoever does these things will never stumble. And so we begin to see right there that David reduces this to 11, but Isaiah reduces them to 6. Isaiah, am I in the right one in Isaiah? Nope, that one's the two. Hold on. Sorry, I know. There it is. Okay, so he reduces it to six. The one who walks righteously and speaks truthfully, who rejects profit from extortion, who waves away a bribe instead of grabbing it, who won't listen to bloody plots, who won't contemplate doing something evil. He will live on the height, highest, on the heights. Fortresses in the cliffs will be his refuge. All right, so that was down to, if you're counting, that was down to six. So we took it from 300, or 613 down to 11, down to six. Then Micah reduces it. Anybody remember that one? Micah, he has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you. Do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with God, right? Okay, then from 3, again, this is coming out of the Talmud. Um, Then we go back to Isaiah, who reduces it further down to 2 in 56, where it says this. The Lord says, act justly and do what is righteous. Okay? Okay? Then Amos reduces it to one, right here. The Lord proclaims to the house of Israel, seek me. Seek me and live. There you go. And then uh, Habakkuk reduces it, but the righteous shall live by his faith. then jesus is asked right and he says well there's actually one but there's two because they're kind of the same love god love neighbor and then what happens what happens is we say yeah love god love neighbor but also don't forget to do this but make sure you do this don't do that and next thing you know we've got 613 again What John is saying is that this is evil. To add more and more laws to what Jesus has already stated is evil. And it actually what it does is it invalidates Jesus' ministry. It invalidates what he taught. It invalidates the way he lived. And it inval- invalidates the way he died. Jesus says, love your neighbor, love God then shows us what that looks like, then says, this is the last, right? The authors are like, this is the last time that there's going to be any sort of sacrifice. This is it. And we're like, yes, we accept that, but. I was thinking about this, and I know I'm going long, but it's worth saying. I'm sorry. So I think about my first anniversary with Denise, and as I think about all this, like how we try to add things, and I, and, I'm, and I think that we often add things because we're trying to do the right thing. right? I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, look how bad, da-da-da-da. Like we're trying to do the right. Like we're actually trying to do a good thing. The reason they end up with 613 from 10 is because they're trying to do the right thing, the Hebrew people, right? And so our first anniversary, Denise we decided we were going to do the whole weekend thing and Denise took Friday night and I got Saturday to plan something for our anniversary. And, and Denise had this wonderful, like we got picked up by a limo, right? Crazy. And um, now I'm like, hey, you want to go to uh, Cracker Barrel? And so anyway, <laughs> um, but, but she got us picked up by a limo and we went to this place called the Chart House. Really fancy, great place to eat, right? And then from there, she had rented a cabin, and, and some of her and her friends, yeah, right? Some her and her friends had gone out, and they, like, had flowers and all this, like, and there was wine and candles and all this at the cabin. And then, and then the next morning, I was supposed to take over, and I had, I had a friend of mine drop my car off. And I was like, we're going to have this romantic canoe trip. And on the way, we we're going to swing by Subway and we're going to get two liters and a bag of chips, right? And, and now, I, I was trying. I really was. And, and we got late, and I'm canoeing really fast. And I'm like, you just sit down. And, and I'm canoeing so fast that I'm bringing water into the canoe, right? And so our sandwich gets soggy, and our soda is doing this in the bottom of the canoe. So we open it up, and it's now flat. But the chips were good. And, and so anyway... And because I wasn't thinking, like, we had to rent a canoe, it has to be back at a certain time. So our day was done, like, early afternoon. And so I was like, oh, this is great. we got time to go to a basketball game. <laughs> By the way, Denise does not like basketball. But I do. And um, so anyway, we got back, and we we're getting cleaned up, and I can tell something's, like, bothering Denise. And I was like, what's wrong, honey? Like, it's been a great, great anniversary weekend. What's wrong? And she goes, you didn't even get me a card. The one thing, the, and I've learned this, the one thing that Denise wants more than anything is a card. If I did nothing else but gave her a card, it would have been better than all of the stuff I tried to do to please her. It's the same thing with God. God. We can do all of this stuff to try to please God. But if we don't do the one thing that God asked us to do, we're not. We're failing. God, Jesus says, love your neighbor. And we're like, yeah. And all these other things. And in the meantime, We fail to love. The author warns the church not to welcome those who have gone into the world and who have gone too far into the community of believers. I've said it, I'm going to repeat it, and then I'm done. While the kingdom of God is a place where everyone can find belonging, and therefore the church as a reflection of the kingdom should also be, it doesn't mean that all behaviors are to be tolerated. Behavior that is not committed to the betterment and completion of others does not have a place in the community of faith and is not a reflection of the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen.